0: To human Matters. I'm Deborah Stone, coming to you from the studios of the Australian Catholic University. Human Matters is a podcast that explores the new insights that research brings into how we understand what it is to be human. Each year, the Cambridge Dictionary chooses a word of the year, a fragment that defines what people are talking about. In 2017, that word was populism. The beginning of a trend that has only increased. Powered by the inauguration of President Donald Trump, the UK's Brexit vote, and the triumph of populist candidates from Brazil to Italy to the Philippines, the past couple of years have seen a massive rise in a range of political positions and behaviours, broadly labelled populism. But defining populism is difficult. The term isn't exactly ideological. Right-wingers like Jair Bolsonaro in Brazil or Pauline Hansen in Australia attract the term, but so do left-wingers like the Syriza Party in Greece and the Spanish Podemos. Both Republican candidate Donald Trump and Democrat hopeful Bernie Sanders were described as populist in the last US presidential elections. ACU Politics Senior Lecturer Dr. Benjamin Moffat focuses his research on unpacking what populism means, how it manifests, and how it is rewriting our political and social norms. He's our guest on Human Matters today. Welcome to the podcast, Ben.
1: Thanks, Deborah.
0: Let's start with a question that sounds easy, but I gather isn't really. What is populism?
1: What is populism? It's the age-old question um, that's, you know, got a lot of attention in the press and but it also gets a lot of attention by academics. I say populism is this. I, I think it's a political style with three main features. You've got number one, an appeal to the people versus the elite. Number two, what I call bad manners. And number three, the performance of crisis, breakdown or threat. So let me go through each of those. So we all know uh, that populists tend to try to speak in the name of the people. They also um, claim to represent, you know, ordinary people. They, They use kind of terms around this, but they claim to also be against the elite. So they represent the people against some kind of nefarious, evil, conspiring elite. I think that's familiar. Across those, that ideological spectrum that you spoke about, right or left, they speak like that. Number two, they use what I call bad manners. And I don't just mean uh, kind of what you were told off when you were a small child, you know, for, for doing bad things. Populists all share this ability to go against what are the kind of norms in any political system. So I'm, um, Donald Trump's the best example of this, uh, you know, acts like a buffoon, makes fun of other candidates, um, you know, pulls stunts more locally. We can think of Pauline Hansen showing up, uh, in this, to the Senate with a burka. you know, these kind of, these kind of things that we just would not expect or uh, necessarily, um, uh, appreciate, I guess, from regular, quote-unquote, regular politicians. The third is this idea of the performance of crisis, breakdown, or threat. And for populists, there's always some threat, some crisis that must be overcome. It's urgent, um, it's completely pressing, and it has to be solved, and they've got the answers. So if you've got those three things, the appeal to the people versus the elite, the um, bad manners, and three the, the performance of crisis, breakdown or threat, you've got populism. And you were right to say before that it's not it doesn't line up with left or right necessarily. It's not a neat category like that. It's not a belief system. When you look at those things and see it as a, po- a political style that can be performed, we can see that those three things can line up no matter what the actual belief system is, left, right, or center. It can, it can be worked together with, with a range of ideological positions.
0: So being populist is different from being popular?
1: Yes, absolutely. Um, let's take the example of, of Barack Obama. There was little populist in his message. He wasn't anti-elite. He didn't try to set the people against the system. He didn't claim the elite were corrupt or anything like that. He was simply a popular candidate. Uh, I think at the at present in the Australian political system, um, we can look at both parties, and I mean Scott Morrison tries to, I guess, uh, affect some kind of everyday. Uh, affect, kind of, I'm just a regular guy, Bill Shorten does it to some extent as well, but they're not claiming to be populist. They're not com- complaining that they're up against the elite. They're not really saying that the system's completely corrupt. So you can be popular without being populist. Absolutely. And on the other hand, a lot of populists, well, they, don't, they aren't necessarily popular. They don't always do well. <laughs> it's, it's not a guaranteed uh, formula for political success.
0: Is populism a threat to democracy or is it a democratic movement or is it both?
1: Well, this is the million dollar question. I think it's why populism has gotten so much attention in recent years is this concern that it is a problem for democracy. Um, it can go either way, though. So why is populism a threat to democracy? Why are people worried about it? Well, the first is that it, it tends to target minorities. You know, you've got the people and then you've got anyone who doesn't fit a part of the people uh, are a problem and should be targeted. And we see that. Pauline Hanson always going on about in, in the 90s, it was Asians, in the, in the 2000s, it was African immigrants. In 2010s, it's Muslims. We can see that they just target minorities over and over. So that's a real concern for anyone who cares about the protection of minorities. We don't just want straight up majoritarian systems. It goes back to mob rule. Um, the other issue is. Populism offers a pretty simple view of the way the world works. It's a pretty simplistic vision. And I think that runs into kind of, you know, the reality, which is, you know, we live in a very complex world. Uh, There's limits to this. And I think we can see that with Donald Trump. He's, he's, you know, continually build the wall, build the wall, build the wall. I mean, he's run into trouble about this uh, with the recent US government shutdown. Um, But it just doesn't accord with kind of... Uh, the, the contemporary political landscape, as complex as it is. I think the third big problem with populism is its extreme personalisation. Uh, the figure of the leader becomes bigger than anything. And if the leader claims that they know what the people want and the people is always correct, then the leader is always correct. And that's that, that's that kind of slippage between populism, authoritarianism and down the line fascism. And I think really worries a lot of people and we can see that in some of these figures, um, like, uh, Bolsonaro, like Duterte in the Philippines, where people are concerned about th- this kind of slippage, you know, away from populism into, I think, m- you know, more concerning political trends. On the flip side, there are democratic tendencies to populism. And the first is, it, it can make politics more popular. Populists are often attention-grabbing. They're often far more interesting. They often grab people's attention. And I know that sounds like a kind of basic thing, but if we want people to participate in politics, they've got to give a damn. And, uh, you know, if someone speaks in your language, if, if someone kind of takes, you know, takes your attention and stands out to you, I, I mean, this, this is something that's kind of needed to some extent in, in you know, politics is part of a performance uh, and populists do a good job at that sometimes. The other thing is that it can bring, a second thing that's democratic about populism is that they can bring in previously excluded identities or people who feel as if they don't have a voice, into the political landscape. Uh, whether that's kind of, I guess, rural voices. I think of Bob Catter in Australia here. Rural Australia doesn't always get uh, get much of a voice. And, you know, whether you agree with Catter's politics or not, he, he does speak for rural people. Or I think of um, some politicians on the left in uh, Latin America, some populists... Who, who were some of the, you know, who literally brought poor people into the political system, uh, gave them more rights, saw their life expectancy go up. That's that sounds pretty good to me, (laughs) and a pretty democratic thing if people are living longer. Um, And the third big thing that populists can do is offer a critique or a kind of, you know, canary in the mine uh, warning when when democracy when and. In our democratic systems, when things aren't going so right, populists generally don't pop up if everything's going hunky-dory. They often offer a critique and show us or uh, where things are going wrong and are willing to call, call it when they see it. And I think, I think you know, populism has a disruptive tendency in this regard, and that can sometimes be a good thing when, when, when systems aren't looking so crash hot and not living up to what they're supposed to be doing.
0: So has there always been an element of populism in our politics?
1: There's an element of of populism in all de- democratic politics insofar that um, politicians claim to speak on behalf of the people. So that's that popular part. That's talking about popular sovereignty. It gets that populist element when we add that anti-elite sentiment on top of that. So as long as there's uh, some kind of sentiment or some kind of feeling that people are being ripped off by those in power, being not listened to, there is a populist, uh, undercurrent. And I guess that's why there's, you know, populism comes and goes and there's tenets, but it always ends up coming back. It kind of bubbles under, uh, and it's always, I guess, uh, a sentiment that's, that can be tapped into.
0: So this defining themselves in opposition to the elite, is is that, in your view, a valid distinction? Can you tell me who the elite are?
1: Well, it it depends. It's populist to populist. Uh, They, just as the way that they characterise the people, will change depending on kind of their political platform. Uh, You know, the left populist will often uh, put it in kind of economic terms. So the elite then will also be in economic terms. It'll be, you know, the capitalist elite or the corrupt, you know, finances or, of Wall Street. Um, whereas for right-wing populists, at least now, the people are often, uh, are often coded, racially coded in white, you know, the white working class, blah, hardworking families, blah, blah, blah. And the elite, the multicultural, um, left-wing, politically correct, culturally relativist elite. So it, those, those will work in, um kind of in conjunction with one another, how they characterise the elite.
0: So that explains somewhat how Donald Trump and a poor um, sacked car worker from uh, the Midwest can find themselves on the same side of this populism equation.
1: Exactly. It does seem kind of weird to look at it from the outside and see this ostentatious TV star who boasts about his golden toilets and his, you know, all his construction towers and like, and the like, but their shared distaste for this particular feature of the, this particular characterization of the elite, uh, works well, that, that unites them. They hate the same people.
0: Yeah, and that—that's my enemy's enemy is my friend. You've that's, got it. You've got okay. it. Okay. <laughs> okay. And what are these populists saying that these elites should be hearing?
1: Well, I. <laughs> yeah, it's a it's a very good question. I I mean, within every populist success, there is there is, uh, some element of truth or at least a warning sign that you know, the elite, I guess, should be listening, listen to populists generally don't do well if there is not some deeply held, uh, sentiment, uh, or, or, um, concern that people, you know, something's gone, something's gone wrong. Uh, if people are pretty happy with how things are going and think things is pretty hunky dory, you know, they might, they'll probably continue you know, voting the same way or continue on. So I think, I think there is that kind of message that has to be picked up on. It. And it's the idea that, um, again, it's case to case, but, but there's, there's deep, uh, anti-elite sentiment. People are sick of how things are going. I think a lot of the time people feel that they need to have more of a voice. Um, and it's a matter of how to, um, how to channel those, Kind of uh, sentiments in a, in a constructive manner and and responds to and show that you you know you care about about those those constituents' voices.
0: So this is the challenge, isn't it? How to do that without taking on some of the more distasteful elements of the populist agenda.
1: Yeah, absolutely, and I think that's a real struggle, especially for a lot of mainstream parties who are facing. Um, challenges on the populist right uh, in, in Australia, in the US, in the UK, in Europe. Uh, and we've seen a lot of centre-right parties move more towards the, you, you know, taking on the right's ideological agenda without necessarily addressing those kind of ideas of being, uh, you know, being disconnected or b- not being heard. Uh, and, it, and it generally doesn't work that well just to kind of adopt their policies wholesale that's kind of missing the point. Uh, it, absolutely. It's not just about kind of the political platform. It's, it's more about questions of political representation, um, the, ha- how uh, democracy is faring, um, how things are structured uh, in terms of, you know, ideas of fairness, equality and so forth. There's these kind of big systemic questions, not just, uh, you know, if we adopt a couple of their policies, they'll go away.
0: So this leads me to think that maybe many of the people who vote for these populist candidates would be just as likely to vote for a populist candidate that said something quite different if they if they had the same sort of appeal to their demographic or their the the area of people with whom they define themselves.
1: Oh. <laughs> It's hard to do a study on something like that from an <laughs> academic viewpoint. Um, and I think there was there was a fair bit of media um, media coverage of this that you know, uh, maybe Bernie Sanders voters would then go over to Trump, and this just didn't from the studies just didn't play out. Um I mean, when it comes back to it, there's still that there's still, you know, between Bernie Sanders and Donald Trump, there's still, in it. there's such an enormous divide in terms of their platform. You know, one's one you know, they're, they're both quite far as you can go on, on kind of acceptable right-wing and left-wing ideological spectrum. Uh, so there's little for those, those voters to share, uh, you know, people don't just vote against the system. You know, it's not just a protest vote.
0: Right. So people's votes are more complex than being um, drawn by ideology or than being drawn by political style.
1: Yeah, I think there's a combination and certain, um, I mean, certain politicians are better at uh, playing one side or the other. I mean, Trump's appeal is, Trump's appeal obviously has a lot to do with his style because the the Republican uh, platform is more an ideological thing, whereas Trump's is ideological plus this kind of weird populist style that, that takes it to another level. I mean, there's, you now look at the US and there's, you've kind of got a Republican base, sure, but that's something different to the, the Trump's base.
0: So you said that populists can act as a bit of a canary in the coal mine, that they um, tell us that there's something going on that is deeply troubling. Why now? What is it that's going on that has led to such a, an explosion of populism around the world?
1: It's a good question because there, it's it's clear that, you know, something big is happening now. I think there's a few reasons. First, the elite is really on the nose in a lot of parts of the world. Um, and I think there's a decent reason for this. You know, in the, we've had the global financial crisis. We've had a uh, war in the Middle East for, for uh, that we went to under, you know, we now know false pretences. People, people are, have kind of had it with the elite, and for a decent reason. I think secondly, the shifting media landscape helps populists at the moment. Social media is cheap, easy to connect directly with uh, audiences, and populists are generally better than mainstream politicians at utilising it. Um, populists number three. Populists have gotten better and more savvy. Uh, in in kind of um, presenting the, presenting their views uh, in recent years, and they've done better as a result. Um, and as I said, I think I think that fifth reason, a uh, fourth reason uh, I mentioned before, is populists are good at exposing the deficiencies of contemporary democratic systems, and at a moment in which. You know, especially in Europe, there's, there's a real sense of crisis around not only Brexit but against the existence of the European Union. They're able to capitalise on this this sense of crisis, you know so that, so the time is right for them.
0: And given that there are some real challenges with populism, how can we defend liberal democratic values against the problems of populism?
1: I think one of the important things is to, sell and not be apologetic. You know, people need to defend. Uh, You said, how can we defend liberal democratic values? Well, I think a lot of so-called liberal parties, and I'm not just talking about our, uh, you know, our big L liberal party, but liberal Democrats in general need to make a very good case about why do we need to defend minorities? Why do we need to have independent institutions? You know, why do we need to have... Um, a diverse and free press. What, what do those things add to us? There's to our societies. We can, we can, you know, do that through civic education, of course, but I think, I think a lot of so-called liberals have kind of trade, made trade-offs with some of those values. um, Haven't acted like good liberals themselves. And I think it needs to, you know, there is a need to go back to some of those things and defend those principles quite strongly um, and, and make a good argument about why, you know, what this gives us. You know, we've only got so far into, in a lot of these countries, uh, especially diverse countries like our own, um, by having and defending those liberal values. And as soon as those liberal parts start to backtrack, um, I think everyone's worse off. I think it's also a matter of showing that um, when populists blame those, those kind of liberal parts of society, those liberal defences, um, you know, as I said, the protection of minorities and and the like as being at the cost of, of majorities that it's just not, it's not the case. Um, and you know, we don't, we, we can look at what, what would, what we would become if we, if we want to go towards an illiberal kind of, um. We want to have illiberal democracies. That's what Viktor Orban says he wants his country to become, an illiberal democracy. And I think if people seriously saw what that entailed, uh, you know, what's slipping towards an authoritarian de facto one party uh, controlling everything state, I, I genuinely don't believe people, that's what people would really like to be living in.
0: Well... We have our challenges cut out for us with populism rising in so many places in so many different ways. But thank you, Dr. Benjamin Moffat, for being part of Human Matters today. Thanks, too, to producer Trey Karuna Rathna, one of our hard-working media production students here at the Australian Catholic University. If you've enjoyed the podcast, don't forget to review and share it so other people can find it. I'm Deborah Stone, and you've been listening to Human Matters. (laughs)